Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You know, back when I lived in California, was going to seminary, I had a few good friends who really enjoyed going surfing and they were quite good at it. And on occasion, they were kind enough to allow me to tag along with them. I actually, they, they brought me along several times. I was not nearly the surfer that they were, but uh, really enjoyed going out with them. There was one beach that they enjoyed going to most there in Northern California, and it was a beach uh, in a little town known as Bolinas. And there at the beach at Bolinas, there is a, a channel that has uh, worked its way uh, into the shoreline uh, of that beach. That channel that has been formed by the tides over years and years of coming in and going out and has grooved itself into the shoreline. It's hard to see the channel uh, in the uh, in the ocean from the shoreline if you're just looking out and, and trying to find it there. But once you're in the water, it's pretty easy to find once you, you get yourself to it. There was one day in particular where we were surfing out there at Bolinas and we had paddled out into the ocean. And, uh, and after a little while of trying to catch waves and just having a good time, we, we looked up and found that the current of the ocean had pulled us uh, south down, uh, down the shoreline and into that channel. And very quickly, before we even realized what had happened, we found ourselves about 200 yards away from the beach itself and uh, probably another 200 yards uh, down the shoreline from where we had started. It happened very quickly, it happened very suddenly as the current and the tide just drifted us uh, kind of out to sea. It took a lot of work to get back to the shoreline as the tide was going out. And, uh, and, and had we stayed there very long, we could have found ourselves in a very dangerous position. Now, I don't know much about surfing, obviously, from that encounter. And I know even less about sailing in a boat on the ocean. But I know this much. To be at drift, uh, or to be adrift and, and to be at the whim of the tide and the current of the ocean is a dangerous place to be. In sailing as it is in surfing, drifting is not an option. Drifting is not something that surfers or sailors intend to be about doing. Drifting in the ocean is dangerous, but drifting spiritually, drifting theologically, drifting when it comes to our relationship with God is all the more worse. Now in Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews gives a warning there in verse 1 to those that he's writing to, not to go adrift. And the reason he's giving this warning is this, because he has revealed to us in chapter one that Jesus is the son of God who reveals the father to us in perfect clarity. And because he is even greater than angels who delivered the message of the law of God to Moses there on Mount Sinai, because Jesus is the son of God who reveals the father we must pay close attention to the message that we have believed about him so that we don't go astray, so that we don't go adrift from it. You know, good sailors are always on task. They're always intentional in the way that they handle the conditions of the sea and the place that they happen to find themselves. In stormy times, when the swells are coming up and waves are crashing over the deck of the boat, good sailors lower the sails. They batten down the hatches and they drop anchor in order to stay put in a storm so that they're not taken adrift. 
But in other weather, good sailors put up the sails. They stow away the anchor and the captain commands the helmsman to, in sailing terms, make the course good, which means to point the ship in the right direction, to use the wind to propel it forward, to get to the intended destination. Here in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the author of Hebrews is giving us this main idea, idea. Drop anchor or make the course good, but do not go adrift. Drop anchor, make the course good, but do not go adrift. As we press into this idea of not going adrift from Christ, not, not drifting away from the message that we have heard in him, I want us to determine to be anchored to Christ in all things and to be determined to, to head toward him in all situations and never to be intentionally or accidentally adrift as his disciples. Here in this passage of scripture, the author of Hebrews shows us first that drifting is dangerous. Drifting is dangerous. Drifting off course when you're at sea is a terribly dangerous position to be in. You don't want to be in a position like that because when you're adrift, you don't know where you are. You might know where you need to be or where you intend to go, but when you're adrift, you have no way of navigating or propelling your vessel in that direction. You may find yourself in uncharted waters with untold and unimaginable perils at any given moment. You'd be at risk of encountering unanticipated weather patterns or rock formations, maybe even creatures of the deep, uh, like maybe in Moby Dick or something like that, uh, where, where the, the ocean itself is working against you. In sailing, to be adrift is to be in grave danger. But to be adrift in your relationship with God is even, dear friends, all the more dangerous uh, to carelessly list away from the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ is worse even than physical death. It's worse than being adrift at sea. And so the author of Hebrews reminds his audience in verse one of Hebrews two of this danger in very stark seafaring nautical terms. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That word drift is a, is a sailing term. Lest we be at drift away from Christ. Now, we do well to remember that those who would have first heard or read this letter would have been those Greek-speaking Jewish believers in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ of God, uh, then in the first century. And having worshiped God under the old covenant worship system of offering sacrifices in the temple and practicing the rite of circumcision uh, in order to mark a person off as part of the covenant community of God, it would have been really disorienting for those first century Jewish believers to now worship God through the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, not that it would have been altogether strange, but it would have been different. And, and it seems to be that the author of Hebrews recognizes a problem in the audience in the, among the Christians that he's writing to. It seems that they have been tempted to drift away from worshiping Christ as the Son of God to going back to their old patterns of worship, those old covenant patterns, old covenant habits of, of worship. Not that those ways of worship were wrong when God gave them, but now the old covenant is obsolete. The old covenant is old because there's a new covenant in Jesus. And so in order to call the Hebrew believers back to worshiping Christ the way that he has commanded them to worship him, uh, he is warning the Hebrew Christians uh, from drifting back to what is familiar in order that they might remain anchored to Christ who is true. 
to return to the worship patterns of an old covenant between God and his people would have been for those Jewish believers in those early days of the church to effectively deny that the death and resurrection of the Son of God was necessary. Worse, it would be to say that Jesus was not the the Messiah, was not actually God in flesh worthy of worship, that he was not the Savior, that he's not the Son of God at all. And to say that his death and his resurrection had effectively accomplished nothing, that the new covenant wasn't really any covenant at all. And the only covenant they had was the old. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding them, warning them, don't drift away from what you've come to know is true in Jesus. Drifting is dangerous. Now, he makes this comparison between the message that the Son delivers and the message that angels deliver in verse 2. He says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The Son of God, as we saw last week in Hebrews chapter 1, is greater than the angels because he's the one who has created the angels. He's the one that commands the angels. Now, there was this understanding from like chapter uh, 33 of Deuteronomy that the law of God given to Moses atop Mount Sinai was delivered to Moses by those servants of God, those angelic servants of the Son of God, delivering the word of God to Moses. But now in Jesus Christ, uh, God has communicated himself to us in his Son, not just through servants, but through the Son. And so if the message of the angels was worth listening to and worth obeying, not because it was the angels' message, but because it was God's message delivered through them, if the message of the law of God brought by angelic messengers to Moses was worthy of listening to and obeying, well, then the author of Hebrews is saying, well, how much more then must we we hear and obey the message of the Son? If there were consequences for disobeying the law of God delivered by angels, how much more then will there be consequences if we neglect, if we ignore, if we drift away from the message of God in the Son? This reality uh, of drifting away may cause you to ask the question, is it possible, is the author of Hebrews saying that it is possible for a Christian to drift away from Christ? The answer is, Yes, but it's kind of a qualified yes. Because you see, there are two different kinds of Christians who drift. Two different kinds of followers of Jesus or so-called followers of Jesus who are in danger of drifting away and two different kinds of drifting from Christ. There's first the the first group, those who are Christians in name only. Those who are self-proclaimed Christians by what they say, but not necessarily Christians in what they believe. These, as they drift away from the truth of Christ, they drift away into unrepentance and disbelief, having either, in calling themselves Christian, being self-deceived about their faith or merely just pretending at it. They were Christians of convenience, not Christians of conviction. The Bible clearly teaches us in several places that what we say must match the uh, conviction of our heart. And so, like Paul says in Romans chapter uh, 10, verses 9 and 10, if you uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, there is a connection between what we believe and what we say that must match up. There must be integrity between the two for that confession and that belief to be sincere. So it's not simply enough uh, uh, to be saving for a person to say, I'm a Christian. There must be sincere belief in their heart for it to be so as well. And so there will be some who call themselves Christians, but who wander away in disbelief and in unrepentance 
uh, from Christ, from the faith that they once said they had, but in reality never had. And they drift away in the direction of, of the true nature of their heart, which is not believing in Christ. And then there's a second group of Christians and a second kind of drifting. And these uh, are, are, would be among Christians who are genuinely saved, who professed with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believed in their hearts that he was the son of God who died for their sins and was raised from the dead. And, and, and in the level of their heart and with their affections have really come to trust him as Lord. But when these drift away from the message that Christ has delivered, from the message that Jesus is the Son of God, they drift away from obedience to Christ and dependence upon him in all things, not to lose their salvation. Hear me clearly. Those who are genuinely saved by faith in Christ are forever saved by faith in Christ. But when they drift, they do not drift in the direction of losing salvation, but into a state where repentance from that sin of drifting comes with great pain and comes with much effort. Not that it is impossible to repent of those sins, but to do so is difficult. Now, churches today, in reality, even conservative, evangelical, gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, Jesus-centered churches have both of these kinds of people in them. Those who are Christian in name only because it fits with their presumptions about how God would want them to live morally in the world, and those who either in secret or in public begin to believe or behave contrary to what God's word instructs and who resist repenting and bringing their lives into conformity with Christ. Now, the author of Hebrews' intent, and my intent here this morning in saying all this, is not to point fingers or to, to, to call people out specifically. It's not my intent, and it's not my right to, to, to say to those in our church or, in, or, or to any church, to people who profess to be a Christian, to say, no, you're not, or you've got to prove it, right? That's not the author of Hebrews' intention. That's not my intention. So I'm not calling anyone not a Christian today. Rather, the point of Hebrews and my point today, my intention today is to say to each of us, we need to search our hearts. We need to scour our motives. We need to know for certain what our commitment to the Son of God is. And we need to live it out with integrity. If our confession is that Jesus is Lord, we need to make sure that the disposition uh, of our hearts is to follow him as Lord. And, and Likewise, if the disposition of our hearts is to follow Jesus as Lord, we need to also make sure that we are professing that, confessing that publicly and living with integrity in motive and in speech in all that we do. Because to not do so is to drift from Christ. And drifting is dangerous. But further, the author of Hebrews teaches us that drifting is not only dangerous, drifting is also easy. Drifting is easy. The potential for going adrift from Christ, from drifting away from the truth of the gospel, is real. It's a real possibility. And if it weren't a real possibility, the author of Hebrews wouldn't have seen it necessary to give this warning to the church that he is writing to. But drifting is not always as apparent as an outright rejection of the Son of God. Sometimes we think of drifting away from Christ as someone uh, getting to a certain point and saying, nah, I don't believe that anymore. I never believe that. I, you know, uh, this whole Jesus stuff, this Christianity stuff is just, it's all bunk. It's all hooey. And, and I never really believed it anyway. Sometimes that's what we think drifting looks like. But in reality, drifting isn't as, uh, always as, as clear-cut and hard-lined as that. Sometimes it's even more insidious and, and more uh, or, or, or less obvious to us. Drifting, our author shows us, 
uh, is as easy as uh, not just denying that Jesus, uh, not as bold as denying that Jesus was the Son of God, but it's as easy as just neglecting the truth that we've received. In my 20-some years of driving, I have never once had a car engine seize up on me uh, on the side of the road as, as I've been driving because my dad was uh, certain to teach me that you have to change the oil in your car every three months or 3,000 miles, whichever comes first or whatever your manufacturer uh, recommended service schedule is. And I have, since the earliest days of driving, nearly religiously paid attention to that little sticker in the corner of my windshield that reminds me when it's time to change my oil. And because I have not neglected to change the oil in my cars, I have never had a car seize up on me because of lack of maintenance on the road. I have, however, had a couple of fender bender accidents in my life that were my fault. Now, these accidents didn't happen. I didn't rear-end people uh, in their cars because I intentionally pressed the gas when I knew I should have uh, hit the brake coming up to a stoplight with cars stopping and slowing down in front of me. No, most of the time, these accidents happened because I took my eyes off the road, because I looked away when my, my phone dinged in the cup holder next to me, or when I was paying attention more to the conversation uh, that I was having with other people in my car than I was to the events uh, transpiring on the road in front of me. You see, simply by neglecting to follow the clear training that I had received and neglecting to follow the laws that I knew were in place for driving, I caused damage to my vehicle. I caused damage to the vehicle of others. I put the lives and the safety of, of those that were in my car at risk and the same of the car that I ran into. You see, drifting and the dangers of drifting are, are as easy as just neglecting to do what we know we must do, neglecting to pay attention to a very clear message that has been delivered to us. And so it is with the gospel that we have received. Drifting from Christ, drifting from the truth of the gospel is as easy as neglecting it. In verse three, our brother, the author of Hebrews writes, how shall we escape how shall we escape punishment? How shall we escape the, the, the just consequences if we neglect such a great salvation? Without a doubt, the salvation from sin and death that we have received, the, the salvation from eternal separation from God that the Son offers to us is a great salvation. It is an inestimable blessing to know God and to be known by Him. It is an infinite joy to love Him and to be loved by him. His is a matchless glory that we are made to bask in as we behold the Son of God who speaks life and hope and truth and salvation to us. But if we hear the message of Christ, we understand it in our minds, even come to trust it in our hearts, but then forget to tend to it, forget to keep it fresh, forget to remind ourselves of it. If we get bored with the gospel and we turn to other things to jazz it up and make it more interesting, or worse, if we take the gospel and try to make it more appealing by adding something to it or subtracting something from the clear message of the gospel, if we neglect this message in any way, we run the risk of drifting from it. Our souls, like ships at sea, are either untethered in the storms of life as we drift from Christ, tossed back and forth like a dinghy in a hurricane, or else like ships in fair weather with their sails folded up and oars lying about on deck. And in either case, because of neglect to do what we know we must, we are dead in the water. 
doomed by our own inattention to the glorious, powerful, wonderful Son of God. Drifting is easy. And drifting from Christ, drifting from the gospel, happens all the time. Gospel drift happens several different ways. It happens in churches most often when, first, we fear man more than we fear God. When we fear man more than we fear God, when, when we want to be liked by the world more than we want to please God who loves us and sent his son to die for us, when we care more about what the world thinks about us than we care what, uh, what, what God thinks about us and how we are living and acting as a church uh, and, and ministering to our community and to the world in that way. Gospel drift happens when pastors fear man more than they fear God. When pastors care more about what their congregants think of them as individuals and as leaders than they do about what God has said about how to shepherd the flock of God among them. Drifting happens when we fear God, uh, man more than God. It happens when we seek comfort more than determined obedience. Drifting from the gospel happens when we take the structures that were put in place to facilitate gospel ministry in the church and make them into, into protective walls and cloistered communities that keep us safe from the world around us. Jesus has called us as his disciples to make disciples, which involves active obedience to the command that he has given. And we run the risk of drifting from the gospel, drifting from the message, drifting away from Jesus himself when we seek to be comfortable as Christians, when we seek to be comfortable as a church rather than be actively obedient for the cause of Christ and the sake of his glory in the world by proclaiming the gospel and discipling those who place faith in him. Drifting happens third in churches and in the lives of individual Christians when we begin to ask the question, has God really said that's the question that was first asked by the serpent, Satan, in the Garden of Eden, where there he met Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as she was surveying the fruit of that tree of which God had forbidden her and Adam to eat, the serpent looks at Eve and says, did God really say that if you ate this fruit, you would really die? I, I mean, I, he's, maybe he said it, right? but did he really mean it? Right, surely, surely, he, he doesn't really mean that. And Eve begins to ask that question herself. Did God really say? Would he really? And in that course of questioning, God's clear word to her, she takes the fruit and eats it, gives some to her husband, Adam, who's with her. He eats it. And in that act, all of humanity falls Adam and Eve became sinners, and all of us, born of Adam and Eve, are sinners by birth. All of the created order was broken by that act of disobedience. Death and sickness entered into the world. Pain and suffering and sorrow became a part of our daily existence, all because our first parents, Adam and Eve, questioned, did God really say? We drift from the gospel. We drift from Christ when we come to the word of God that, that lies open before us even now. And in reading passages that maybe are hard to understand or, or maybe uh, great against our, our sinful uh, selfishness, we, we look at those passages and ask, did God really say? Because that's, that's a really hard thing that he might say. That's a difficult thing to understand and believe and to live out. And boy, if I live that way, I might hurt the feelings of some other people around me. When we get to questions and issues of, 
of how we should structure ministry and leadership and, and how we should live together as a church. We will look at the way that God has instructed us to do that in Scripture and say, yeah, but I think it's really better if we just have like a CEO kind of model because that's what you know, Hewlett-Packard and, and, and Apple and all these other Fortune 500 companies have done. They've got a CEO and a board and, and, and look at how profitable they are. When we begin to say, did God really say, is it really best if we do it God's way? We start doing it the other way. We, we, we begin to drift away from Christ and from the gospel. When we look at God's instruction for sexual ethic as human beings and God's design for marriage and for the family and for how we are to, to uh, live together and be fruitful and multiply in a way that honors God and, and fulfills us in relationship with other people. And we begin to say, did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman for life? Is that, is that still, does he, does he still really mean that? When we begin to look at the things that God says about how men and women, husbands and fathers, moms and dads are to relate to each other, not only in the church, but also in the home and say, you know, I know what God said about, about men needing to be the, the primary leaders in the home and in the church and, and those that are taking spiritual responsibility for, for those that have been entrusted to them. But we'd really like to do it this way. When we begin to ask questions of God's word, Especially, not just questions, but the question, did God really say? Does he really mean? I don't think that that's what he means anymore. We run the, the risk of drifting away from the message that we've received. Popular pastor Francis Chan uh, puts this sentiment uh, really well and, and in a way that, that I would encourage all of us to, to begin to embrace and to embody. He says, anytime I come to the word of God and I read a passage, I read a verse that I disagree with, I have to immediately assume it's me who's wrong. Friends, if God has deceived us in one part of his word, whether it be about marriage or family or sexual ethic or ha- how, we, how we function as a church, then it's entirely possible he's also deceived us about greater things like salvation and whether that it comes only through Jesus. Either God is truthful and, and reliable and authoritative in all that he has said, or he's not truthful and authoritative in anything that he has said. We begin to lose our, our grasp upon the authority of God's word. We begin to drift and it happens easily from Christ and the gospel when we ask that question, has God really said Drifting is dangerous, and it is easy, but drifting need not be a certainty in your life or in the life of any church. And the author of Hebrews gives us instruction as to how we are to keep from drifting. He says again in verse 1, pay attention, pay much closer attention so that you do not drift. So we go back to verse 1, and we read him say, therefore, In light of the fact that the Son of God is greater than the angels and the message that he delivers is even more authoritative than that, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Well, what is it that we have heard? What is it that we have to pay attention to? What is the message that the author of Hebrews is saying, listen to, pay attention to? Well, it is the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent for sinners, crucified for their sin, raised from the dead, seated in glory at the right hand of the Father. Christ himself declared this message to us first, the author of Hebrews says in verse three. He says it was declared at first by the Lord. 
Meaning that in Jesus' very life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he himself declared this gospel, that salvation comes through faith in him, his death and resurrection for sinners. But this message further, the the author of Hebrews says, was verified and affirmed by those who heard. It was affirmed by the apostles who were eyewitnesses and earwitnesses to Jesus who followed him, who witnessed him risen from the dead, who watched him ascend to heaven and then boldly proclaimed that message and wrote it down for generations to follow. But even more so, this same message that Jesus first declared was attested and affirmed by the apostles is also confirmed by God himself through miracles of power that served as the divine notary stamp upon the gospel message everywhere that it was proclaimed in the early days of the church and even today. And what's more, God continues to verify the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, uh, crucified for sinners and raised from the dead as he sends his own spirit to dwell in the hearts of those who trust the Son, who, who, who give their lives over to Jesus as Lord. God continues to verify the message of the gospel as the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts to grace and enables us for sanctification and advances the gospel through, through us as we proclaim it faithfully as it was delivered to us. You know, Paul the Apostle told Timothy, his sort of young ward in the faith, if you will, the one that he was discipling and training to be a leader in the church. He says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. The author of Hebrews says, pay close attention to what we have heard so we do not drift astray. It is incredibly important to pay attention to the message of the gospel. How do we do this? How do we pay attention to the message of the gospel? How do we pay close attention and keep a close watch on the message of Christ crucified and risen for sinners? Now, certainly we do that week by week as when we gather together in worship, we remind each other of the gospel. That's the reason that I preach the gospel to Christians every single Sunday. You know, friends, brothers and sisters, when on a Sunday morning, I remind us that Jesus died for your sins and was raised again from the dead so that you by faith in him might have a right relationship with God. I'm not saying that just for the benefit of those who may be non-believers among us. I'm saying that for we who know Christ, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to remember it regularly. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves day by day by day because it is the thing that we must pay much closer attention to. It is the thing that we must not neglect. But in a practical way, day to day, moment by moment, in the different situations and realities of life, how do we pay close attention? Or what does it look like to pay close attention to the gospel during storms of our life? Well, in those hard times, we anchor our soul to the gospel in times of trouble. We pay close attention to it by anchoring our soul to the gospel in times of trial, in times of temptation. When all the world around you seems chaotic, when your life is full of pain, suffering, sorrow, difficulty, challenge from without, challenge from within, you need to sink your, the, the weight of your soul into the abiding truths of Christ when everything else is uncertain. When the waves of sea of the world are crashing over the deck of the ship of your life, You need to drop your anchor 
into the gospel of Jesus, in the truth of Christ, to remind yourself that in a constantly changing, chaotic world, that he is the one who is the same yesterday and today and forever, that he is the rock who does not move in the storm, that he is the chief cornerstone worthy of building your life upon. You need to sink the anchor of your soul into the truth that Jesus is the good shepherd of your soul and the one who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You need to remind yourself that he is the hope of the nations, that he is the lion of Judah and the lamb of God, that he is the one who loves me and gave himself up for me. You need to sink the weight of your soul into truth that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that he is the only way to the Father. That when you're facing death, that he is the resurrection and the life. To remember that he is the creator of the universe and the one who holds your soul in his hands. You need to sink the the anchor of your heart into the truth that Jesus is the only son of God, the radiance of the glory of the Father and the exact imprint of his nature. That's how you pay close attention to the gospel. When things are hard, when, when life is challenging, when suffering abounds, by reminding yourself of Christ who never changes, of the gospel that was true yesterday, that is true today and will be true tomorrow, no matter what else in the world happens to change. In times of trial, times of trouble and temptation, anchor your soul to the gospel. That's how you pay close attention to it. But in times of, uh, in seasons of fair sailing in your life, you need to make the course of your soul good. You know, when the clouds clear and the waves begin to calm and the wind begins to blow more gently. The captain of a ship says to the helmsman, hoist the mainstay and make the course good. In times of fair sailing, sailors get about sailing. And so times of life, in times of life where when, things are, when, when your life is not full of suffering, when it's not full of complication, when it's not full of trial or temptation, you need to be determined and make an intentional effort to make good the course of your life. I think as we're thinking about sailing and sailing analogies of Christopher Columbus, who in 1492 set sail to find a, a path from Europe to the, uh, to the West Indies uh, or, or to find a, 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 an easier path for transport of trade and other things. And, and in the course of that, uh, he found what was the new world. He, he, he found and landed upon North America. He was not the first to discover it, but uh, his discovery was, uh, was fairly fundamental. Now, Columbus, in doing all of this, himself had a desire to sail. He wanted to get out on the open sea to find the route, uh, uh, to, to improve trade and commerce uh, in his own homeland. He had a destination in mind to where he was going, and he had all the resources of royalty behind him to provide ships and crew and resources to make it happen. In the life of the Christian, it is Jesus who is the royal provider of the vessel. It is he who is the wind in the sails, and it is he himself who is the destination to which we are sailing. So in seasons of fair sailing, we must weigh anchor, hoist the main, set the sail, and get about pursuing the mission of God by growing ever nearer to Christ and bringing along with us those who have placed faith in him that we all might grow in him together. He who saves us by his death and resurrection is the one who fulfills the law of God and who commands our obedience to make disciples. He who reveals the Father to us in perfect truth and clarity calls us to be holy as he himself is holy. 
And he who brought us from death and sin to life by faith makes us to be fishers of men who teach others to obey the very same truths of the gospel about Christ that he himself has commanded to us in his word. Make the course of your soul good in seasons of fair sailing. That is how you pay attention to the gospel. You put it to work in your life. When there's opportunity to move, you ask God to fill the sails of your life that you might move and, 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 and grow closer to Jesus and bring others along with you as you do. Christ Jesus, the son of God, is the message of hope and life and restoration to God. And because all of scripture is his word, we must discipline ourselves to pay close attention to it. We must guard our true doctrine. We must encourage humble obedience. We must press into sanctification. And we must plumb the depths of the wonder of salvation that we have received as we love God with all of our heart, soul, and our mind and strength. And we must boldly pursue the glory of God without distraction. That's how we make good the course of our soul. Pay attention, brothers and sisters. Pay very close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Drifting is dangerous. Drifting is easy. But there's a way to avoid it, and that is by paying close attention to the message we have received. Here lies this truth, that in life with Christ, we are either firmly anchored to him by faith, with our, our whole life and every aspect of it resting on him who never changes, or we have made the course good and our lives are moving in an ever more Christward direction in loving and active obedience to him, or else we are adrift. We are either anchored to him or sailing toward him in faithfulness, or we are adrift, dear Christian. Either drop anchor or make the course good, but do not go adrift. Pay close attention to the message you have received. Dear friend, not yet a Christian, what would it be for you to be anchored to Christ this way? To, to be truly unmoved in the storms of your life, the storms of pain and suffering and frustration. Per, perhaps you are under the impression that you have already made good the course of your life. You, you think you've got sails up, winds blowing, I'm, I'm heading in the direction that I want to go, that you're, you're on track and moving toward the goal that you have for yourself in life. I would say to you that as God speaks to us through his son, Jesus, what he reveals to each one of us is that irrespective of how successfully we think we have directed and navigated our lives, if we are not oriented around Jesus, if our hearts are not anchored to him, if, if, if the wheel of the ship is not set directly toward him, then we are adrift. If we're not oriented around Jesus Christ, who is himself the way, the truth, the life, we are adrift in life. You know, Jesus doesn't call you to trust him, to believe that he died for your sins and rose again in order to drag you to the bottom of a sea of legalism. I think a lot of us a lot of times before coming to know Christ, think that if I become a Christian, my life's going to be so boring. I have to follow all these rules. It's going to be dull. There's not going to be any joy or anything in it. And I just have to, to do all this stuff and I, I don't get to do what I want to do anymore. In reality, when Christ calls us to trust him, he's calling us to hoist the mainsail of our heart 
that the wind of his Holy Spirit might propel us toward him. The life that Jesus calls us to in trusting him is not a life of boredom and doldrums and drowning in a sea of legalism. He calls us to a life of adventure and thrill through hard sailing and storm toward the destination that is himself. He calls us to draw near to him, the God who made you, who loves you, the God who longs to show you the unfathomable riches of his glory. If only we will pay close attention to his word, anchor our souls to him, hoist the sail of our life that he might direct our path. Dear friend, you, not yet a Christian, may begin this life of spiritual adventure and eternal security by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord today, by trusting him as the son of God, by making him Lord, captain, anchor of your life today. It's as simple as turning from the life you used to live on your, on your terms, the way you want, when you want, how you want, to recognize that you need a savior. You need one to make you right with God who made you. And that one is God in flesh, Jesus the Christ, who gave his life for your sins, who raised his life from the dead, who is God incarnate, who longs to save you from your sins and take you on this life of adventure and thrill in seeking him and living to the greatest purpose that you can live, to know, love, and worship the God who made you and who loves you. Will you trust him today? Gracious God in heaven, enable us to pay much closer attention to the message we've received, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that the eternal son of God is greater than all and worthy of our worship and our praise and of orienting our whole life around him. God, keep us from going adrift. Anchor our hearts to Christ in times of trouble and suffering. Lord Jesus, be the good shepherd of our soul who walks with us through those dark valleys as you promised to be. And in seasons of fair sailing, Lord, lead us, drive us, inspire us to seek the adventure of life in Christ by going where you will direct us, by making the course of our life good as we point it toward Christ, as we rely upon him, as we live lives of active obedience to his command and give you glory for it all the way. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.